Hello out there, my fellow fight fans. Welcome back to the Couchside Judges with your hosts, Scott Fontana and my pal, Dan Urban. Somehow, after all the scratch fights from weight cutting issues and COVID-19 positive tests, the latest event at UFC Apex managed to entertain us, albeit with a seven-bout, zero prelim setup. Even the heavyweight headliner between Alistair Overeem and Augusto Sakai was pretty entertaining, right, Dan? Yeah, which can be pretty rare for heavyweights. And with so few fights, there wasn't a ton of scores from the judges to break down either. But we've got a few for you from the main event and more. We've also got time to bring you a past judgment featuring Scott's favorite fighter of all time, Leota Machida. But don't worry, I'll make sure he isn't too much of a homer for his guy who's getting ready to face Phil Davis in a rematch on Friday at Bellator. Yeah, that's a fight. Obviously, as a Machida fan, I'm looking forward to. Uh, and I'll, you know, I'll do my best to not be a homer if I can help it. But you know, we'll save that for later. We're going to talk about Bellator later in the week. We'll talk about the UFC card that's coming up later in the week too. Today, let's focus on the previous Saturday's fights from the other day, and let's start with the headliner, Overeem and Sakai. We had two rounds that we wanted to talk about here, but only one of them was actually contested by the judges. And that was round two, Dan, right? Yeah, round two was close. And like you said, this was an entertaining heavyweight fight. It was. I I was pleased with it. You know, there was some drama. It wasn't it didn't kind of start off as any sort of like sizzling round or anything like that, but there was there was tactical skirmishes going on. I would say all three of the first three rounds were close, hard to call, but I think the judges did a very good job on the whole, except not that round two was a bad job, but this was the one where the judges were actually split. Uh, we had Sal D'Amato and Junichiro Camillo. They saw 10-9 for Sakai, whereas Derek Cleary went for Overeem in this round. How did you go? Yeah, I actually went for Sakai 10-9. Uh, I thought this round was really a round of uh, clinch battle against the cage, and I thought Sakai landed the better strikes in the clinch especially that one flurry where he was digging to the body. So how are you seeing this round? Me, I, I thought it was Sakai as well. Uh, again, I thought this was a really close round, though. And and honestly, one and three were also close, too, although I did side with the majority, you know, all three judges in, in each of those rounds, too. Uh, and I was with the majority here, just like you. But, you know, Sakai was really, he's just the one who's landing more often in these early rounds. And... Overeem, neither one of them actually is is kind of connecting on anything fight changing or anything like that. It's not that they weren't effective strikes. When Overeem would land, it was pretty solid, but it wasn't landing enough. Yeah, he opened them up a very very small cut. He opened up. Yeah, I just I thought this was a Sakai round. I thought through two, Sakai had built a, a 2-0 lead in terms of rounds one. Nothing dominant, of course. We're talking about 10-9s. But yeah, after that, it was when things changed. Is there anything you else you wanted to say about round two other than, you know, kind of, this, this was kind of straightforward. It was just close, right? I mean, yeah, it was just a close round. Overeem, he was landing. Sakai was landing. I just thought Sakai was landing better, and I thought he had the better strikes against the cage. Yeah, I have no issue with Cleary going this way. You know, it's, it's a close one. But uh, it, ultimately, of course, it didn't matter because Overeem gets the, uh, the TKO in round five. But that was built off of his impressive work at the end of round four, right? Yeah. Round four was a strange round to me. How so? I am glad to see the judges gave 10-8s. All across the board, unanimous 10-8s. So I want to I wanna be in these conversations between these judges where they're, you know, figuring out exactly how to calibrate a 10-8 and separate it from a 10-9. Between fights you're talking about. Yes, not, not, yes. Obviously oh, no, not, not on yeah, fight night. Right, not for, during. Correct. For anyone listening yeah. at home, they're not... They're not able to, you know, 
concur on fight night, but yes, Dan is right. They do talk between fight cards and try to figure out what it is they should be seeing as a 10-8, right? Right, and so from how I scored it, I scored it as a 10-9. I, I thought the first half of the round, you know, maybe even the first three minutes was all Three Sakai. minutes. All yeah. Sakai. I don't know if it was all Sakai. It was still kind of a close round, but I was I was seeing it for Sakai at this so, point. I mean, I thought he was just landing. He's landing those short hooks. He landed some big elbows, one even cut over him right in the middle of his forehead. Yeah, it was trickling down his nose. So Looked like a bunch of tributaries off the river. But, you know, then eventually Overeem gets the takedown and the whole game changes because he's just going to town on him. Now, while you can say, yeah, Overeem definitely checks off damage, definitely checks off domination. Does he check off duration? I don't know. That is the question. And I actually wrote about this, Dan, in uh, in my latest article for MyMMANews.com. Uh, please go check that out uh, if you get the chance. But I, I really think you're right. I think you're completely on the money here that this was a round that probably only definitively checked off two boxes uh, for the 3Ds here. Why do you think that duration was not checked off? It's not that I don't think it was checked off. I think he had some duration. Obviously, it's like a minute to the bell. He's really going to town on him. But he seemed to be taking some breaks in between. Like, if he really pressed forward, he might have got him out of there in the fourth instead of having to come out for a fifth where he get, did get it done. But another thing is, you know, while Overeem checked damage, you can argue that so did Sakai check damage. To the extent Overeem did, I don't think so. But No, it's not. But is the difference between it enough to put it as a full-on, easy 10-8 worthy damage? I don't know. I will tell you why I think it does, and that's because you weigh the immediate impact more. And when you're talking about that immediate impact in this round, the most impactful strike is that short little left that Overeem lands from postured up, about just a little more than a minute left in the round. And from that point on, Sakai was in big trouble. He was really trying to kind of survive at this point. And I think the damage suffered there was far greater than the cut being opened up over Overeem's eye. So... Yeah, I would say it's it's certainly a question worth considering, but I do think that the damage it's okay to check off in Overeem's favor here. Yeah, for sure. Right. So I I, I truly believe the dominance was the the one you can't even argue. The other oh no, way. easy. I think dominance easy. is one hundred percent a a D checked off uh, in Overeem's favor. And that's because of course the fact that from that punch on basically. You didn't see any answers from Sakai. He truly is just surviving. There's no retaliation. There's no countering. Uh, it, he's just full-on survival mode, uh, and that's how dominance would apply in this case. So yeah, so that's really why I didn't go ten nine. I want you know, are all three Ds? Do they have their own separate barometer of, of things? You know, that that's some things I'd like. Maybe we should get clarified, or I'll get. Uh, I should get clarification for myself. Hey, for everybody, you know, we're right. here to spread the spread the word of of how judges see things to anybody who's interested in learning more about the sport. So yeah, so that's why I was hesitant to actually pull the trigger on ten eight. But you know what? If I'm I'm happy they're doing it. Yeah, I also when I watched this live, I thought it was just a ten nine. So I was not. I wouldn't say I was taken aback when I saw all three judges gave a ten eight in this one, but. It was one of those things where I said to myself, okay, I guess I can really go back and look at that and just say, is this, is this what a 10-8 looks like for my own edification? I trust the judges. like they're, they're the ones who do this. So yeah, they that, think both three of them thought it was a 10-8. It's a 10-8 round. Yeah, they're, they're pros. Know, I'm not going to tell them they're wrong, <laughs> but, but I want to know why. So 
after having watched it back, I would agree. Yeah, I think this definitely checked off at least two out of the three D's to go to a 10-8. I was comfortable going to a 10-8 myself. Uh, and you only need two. You know, it doesn't need two out of three. Uh, it doesn't need all three D's. If you get all three D's, then you're kind of supposed to give the 10-8. But if you only get two, it's one of those things where you can consider it. So almost that 10-8 and a half you can kind of think about, right? I like it. I think, you know, if we can start considering it, maybe we consider it a little bit heavier than we, we have in the past. Yeah, I love it. You know, so, I, I think probably you can give out 10 eights even more frequently than they do. Uh, but the criteria really, it, it is limiting. You can't just go crazy with it. Mm-hmm. There's only so right. much that the criteria allows you to do. Correct. But uh, I think that does it for the main event. Yeah, for sure. You know, this this was probably the most uh, noteworthy fight to talk about in general as far as a judging perspective because we didn't have a lot of... we First off, we didn't have a lot of rounds turned in, period. There were 13 rounds <laughs> turned in by the judges the whole evening out of seven fights. This wasn't a decision fest here. But we did have a round turned in in the co-main event, Ovin St. Prue against Alonzo Menefield before OSP. He put uh, Menefield down. <laughs> Pretty, uh, pretty harshly, huh? Yeah, that was a in second round. Oh, yeah, nice left counter. But in in the first round, OSP only won the round on two out of three cards. It was from Mike Bell and Dave Hagen, whereas Ron McCarthy he saw it from Menifield. What about you? How'd you see it? No, I saw it for OSP. You know, OSP was landing. He had nice straight rights, good body kicks. He was mixing his strikes up really well, and I thought Menifield really had those one-off strikes that were pretty strong, but they just wasn't as many of them and osp when he was landing they were still strong no absolutely the, the impact was coming from both men but there were periods where menafield just kind of disappeared yeah in, in terms of his offense landed and i think that made it harder for me to go that way and you know it doesn't matter like, all anything you get done in the five minutes counts so you know if he if he does a ton of work in the first minute and then he takes three minutes off and then he does a ton of work in the final minute if that's overall more than what OSP did, then you give him the round. So it doesn't matter necessarily, but right. it, it certainly makes it easier if you know someone's being consistent. You can say, okay, you know, he's landing, he's 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 putting hands on him, he's he's keeping it going. This was not uh, a very high output round, though. Anytime you have a close round with low output, it's very hard to get unanimity from the judges here, and you know that's not their fault. No, the fighters have to give them something to score. They do, and but I do, you know, I would ag- I would agree with you. I think OSP took this one. I do think he had some good sting on those uh, punches he was landing. The kicks, too. You know, the kicks like you mentioned. But obviously, round two comes around, and, and he puts him down, and it doesn't really matter. OSP got the win regardless. Yeah, good knockout. Put a stamp on things. And the only other decision, and the only other round that we're really needing to break down here was from one of the two decisions of the evening, and that was Viviani Araujo's unanimous decision victory over Montana De La Rosa. And round three was the only round where there was any kind of question. You know, Araujo won the first two rounds pretty clearly. It was it was competitive, but clear. Round three, though, we had some discrepancy here. It was McCarthy and Rick Winter who saw it for Araujo, whereas Cleary saw it for De La Rosa. What about you? Yeah, I thought this was the best round for De La Rosa, but it wasn't good enough. I thought Araujo yeah. was landing with, with a lot of pop. De La Rosa was just a bit more busier, so... I, I'm gonna. I'm weighing, you know, the impact over the volume, and that's why I'm going with Araujo. That's what I said too. Impact over volume. That, these are my notes here. Uh, please stop getting into my computers. This is like the <laughs> second or third time I've had to tell you about this today. <laughs> We're just thinking on the same wavelength today, you and I. 
but yeah, the volume was there. I didn't think it was to even such a high degree or anything like that over Araujo. So yeah, I, I felt pretty good about giving this to Araujo again. Yeah, that's how I, I had it. Thirty twenty-seven for her. But you know, short of short of a ten-eight or a finish from Delarosa, it doesn't really matter here because Araujo won the first two rounds handily, clearly. So you know, even if Cleary went the other way, heck, if all three judges went for Delarosa, it doesn't affect the outcome. So. Hard to be too mad. Anytime you get a round three in this scenario, it's, you know, who 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 could possibly get really mad about that score, you know? Yeah, no no one's uh, throwing any fits for that one. It's kind of like when you put in a pitcher uh, in the ninth inning and you're up six runs and the guy gives up three. It's like, I mean, yeah, you don't, you don't want it, but it's only three runs. You were up six. Who cares? Yeah, now it's a save situation. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was it. I mean, otherwise, it was pretty clean, uh, clean sheet from the judges. Again, they didn't have all that much to do. Uh, we did have a couple undisputed fights here. Hunter Azure getting the unanimous 29-28 over Cole Smith. Definitely won the first two rounds and lost the third on all three judges. This was like a judging 101 fight for me. Uh, it, it was very clear who won all three of these rounds, so nobody was mm-hmm. going to get that wrong, right? No. And then the other one was the first two rounds of Michel Pereira over Zalim Imadaev before Pereira got the third round submission. And that was kind of a questionable stoppage, right, from Chris Tonyoni? A little questionable. Not really sure if Imadayev actually did tap. He made the motion like he was going to, you know, ref has not make a decision in you know, real time, right away. He doesn't have time to just debate it over in his head. Oh, did he tap? Did he not? Was he going to defend? He's got to make the call, and he made the call, and it really didn't matter anyway. It really didn't matter at all, especially when you factor in that Pereira won the first two rounds very clearly. So he was up 20 to 18 on both judges' scorecards. Imadayev was not about to win the third round. In fact, he was probably closer to a 10-8 than winning <laughs> yeah. the round. This was, I think this was definitely on, on its way to a 10-8. Yeah, I, I would have to wonder if the judges were going to go that way. Maybe not. Maybe they would have. But uh, I mean, I think I probably would have. It was only about 21 yeah. seconds before the end. So yeah. look, Imadayev, he tweeted after he did not like the stoppage. He was very mad about the stoppage. Look, you'd be mad about it, but you weren't going to win the fight. So if you're if you're just quibbling over the fact that you were stopped as opposed to made it the distance, fine. You know, you can you can complain about that. I don't know if I love the stoppage either, but Cristiano is a good ref. He's been doing great work in uh, in Vegas for these uh, these summer events that we've had here. So look, it was kind of a situation where it didn't really affect the outcome either way. But those were all the fights that we had undisputed rounds turned in from all the judges. We had five stoppages in seven fights, two in the first round. Scott, did you have a favorite? Yeah, my favorite was actually Andre Muniz getting the sneaky first round armbar over Bartosz Fabinski. Yeah, that was sick. Yeah, the way the way he was kind of pursuing the triangle, gave up the triangle, but at the same time, he he was already setting up the armbar way ahead of time. You got to think ahead. It's a chess match. It's not checkers, that's for sure. <laughs> I, yeah, that was that was definitely my favorite of the night. Just the the technical grappling on display to get that type of armbar it was really sneaky it was kind of a not your typical armbar you'd see from guard even in by today's mma standards no that was it was very good I, Beautiful. I enjoyed it yeah what was yours what was your favorite i bet i know oh yeah yeah i bet i know but uh-huh. you know why don't you tell everybody <laughs> brian boom kelleher's quick guillotine finish over ray rodriguez who was a late replacement on like one day notice so 
I think it was like less than a day's notice. <laughs> I think the guy didn't realize he was fighting until like late the night before. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, the guy's base, he's probably fighting on autopilot, that whole thing. He's got no camp to prepare. Uh, he goes for a takedown and gets uh, leaves his neck out there, and Kelleher snatched it up and got the quick tap. Yeah, I knew you would say that. You you love your subs, and I feel like I almost stole probably your favorite sub by by picking Muniz, but no, I mean, that's all right, right? Yeah, that's all all good. I was going to pick the other one because, you know, Dan and I, we, we plot out which one we're going to discuss. We try to make sure not to step on each other's toes, but, you know, there's there's dibs called <laughs> here. And, and, and actually, Dan stunningly picked Kelleher over Muniz, and I thought he'd go the other way. So I'm like, no, I'm picking it. <laughs> it's all good. We still don't get to talk about it. That's true. That's true. But that's the end of uh, that's the end of the rounds that we wanted to talk about from Saturday. We do have a little bit of time to get in a past judgment for you guys. So let's get to it. You know, this this fight we mentioned before, Phil Davis and Leota Machida, they're fighting again at Bellator in Friday's headliner. So we're going to revisit their first fight because they already fought. This is, this is an interesting rematch. Before we do, Dan's going to run down how our modified scoring criteria works for past judgment. Take it away, Dan. Yeah, the CSA criteria is basically the same as the ABC criteria, which, if you're unfamiliar with, it's available at abcboxing.com for anybody to read. I suggest you do it. Uh, Like certified judges, we score rounds based on the 3Ds, damage, dominance, and duration, but we just made a few key changes. A 10-9 round is a competitive round in which neither fighter checks one of the 3Ds by a large margin. A 10-8 can be considered for just 1D, but should definitely be given when 2Ds are achieved. And a 10-7 is available for checking off 2Ds, but must be given for all three. We've discarded the tiebreakers for effective aggression and area control, as these are rarely used by judges anyway. The rare 10-10 would only be given in largely uneventful rounds. All this helps provide for more varied scores that should more accurately reflect what happened in a fight. So Scott, set the stage for Machida Davis 1. Yeah, so this one took place on August 3rd, 2013, so just about seven years ago. UFC 163 at HSBC Arena in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Served as the co-headliner under Jose Aldo's successful featherweight title defense against the Korean zombie Chan Sung Jung. Machida coming into this one, former light heavyweight champ, of course. He had just won consecutive fights over Ryan Bader by knockout and Dan Henderson by a close split decision, which honestly, we could probably revisit that one for past judgment someday that was a really close one and a lot of uh controversy surrounding that decision but by this point machida 19 and 3 great record on his way to you know a wonderful career that he's already put together uh and davis he entered this one with two straight victories over vinnie magalies and wagner prado not huge names but they did lift his record to 11 and 1 with a no contest by this point he had shed the prospect label so he wasn't really you know kind of an up and comer but he was still rising to near the top at 205 this was probably his most high profile fight in a couple of years uh and yes again machida is my favorite fighter but i'm going to try and keep it down the middle as best <laughs> as i can i'll police that thank you thank you and judges for this one sal d'amato chris watts and rick winter with the referee leon roberts so dan what happened in round one round one what not much <laughs> no there really wasn't this was not a ton to score for either man it was still an okay round. Uh, Machida, he's always he's always been that type of fighter, a counter striker, waiting for someone to make a mistake. He's patient. I mean, it's that he is. And that's what I love about him. That's why I love watching him. He's he's a fascinating fighter. Yeah, tough to get him out of his game plan. 
Absolutely. You can't, th- <laughs> you can't throw Machida off of what he wants to do. You could stop him from doing it if you're able to take him down, but otherwise he's going to do exactly what he wants to do until you can make him not. Uh, you, know, you, you can knock him out. He's, he's, he's been hit before. But anyway, yeah, I mean, this was a not just not a whole lot happening in this round. There was a decent flurry from Machida kind of in the second half of that round. Uh, Davis was landing the kicks here and there. Uh, but for me, I actually thought that Davis was able to take this round by a narrow margin because of the takedown followed by that bit of ground and pound. You know, what? I didn't score the ground and pound that high. Okay. I, you know, it was there. It was good. I just didn't think it was better than what Machida had done throughout the round, albeit that wasn't that much that he did, but he did land a couple straights. He had, you know, the good uh, teeps to the body. That flurry you mentioned would ended with a knee, and I kind of thought overall that that way outweighed what Phil Davis did uh, at the end. So you gave Machida the round. I ended up scoring it for Machida 10-9. And I gave it to Davis. Uh, Dan, I would appreciate it if you'd stop being such a Machida homer, uh, please. <laughs> as we as we spoke of before, he's your favorite fighter. Oh, wait, no, that's my favorite fighter. My bad. Uh, <laughs> no, I, this was – it kind of surprised me because I I definitely remember thinking Machida won this round. Uh, the commentary certainly leaned his way, so that that probably played a, a role in the way I felt. But yeah, I mean, I I really thought that Davis did enough to edge this by just such a slight okay. margin. There really wasn't enough to score. There really wasn't. And for the record, I did not watch this with the commentary. It was on mute the whole time because I just didn't feel like turning the sound on. I think you were smart too. So, Although Brian Stan, my man, was on this one. I love Brian Stan. Yeah, uh, great guy. I'm a Brian Stan Stan. I want to ask you a question about this round. Did you give any weight to the arm triangle attempt or the Kimura attempt from Davis? No, not really. Okay, yeah, me neither. No, I don't think those were were very scorable. They they weren't effective submission right. attempts. And I I think yeah, I mean, he was fishing for it. He was looking for it. But it's like I look at that, and maybe this is a flawed way to look at it. But I look at it as kind of the same as throwing like a one-two combo where neither one of them lands. Like, you, you know, you, you put it out there, you try, and okay. nothing happened. That's yeah. how I see it. Maybe I'm wrong, uh, but that's how I've looked at it. But as far as the actual judges on this evening, we had Sal D'Amato and Rick Winter gave 10-9 to Davis, just as I did, whereas Watts gave it to Machida, just like you. So they were split on this round. Yeah, heading into round two. Round two. Oh, my goodness. Another, like, this is like the same round kind of for me. <laughs> I thought this was clear for Davis because of the end of the round. But like you said, I mean, this was quite an uneventful round again. Very similar to round one. Maybe the reason why I'm saying it seemed like the same round is because I thought Davis won the round because of the late takedown and, and a little bit of ground and pound, which is exactly what I thought happened in round one. You just disagreed over the quality of the yeah, ground and pound yeah, at the, the end of uh, the first round. These were... Knees to the body, which I thought were, were strong, followed by a couple elbows and they were strikes. they were big, yeah. They were they were definitely some some bigger strikes. Yeah, so that's really where I weighed it uh, for me. And really, Machida's strongest. Actually, both guys in this round, their best offense came in that final minute. You got that straight right from Machida that was right down the middle that uh, that stunned uh, Davis a bit, and then you got the the ground and pound. Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything you're saying. This. Again, just a, a, for me, not enough happening overall in this round. But yeah, that, that ground and pound certainly made it easier to go with Davis. Yeah, so uh, we both have it. Oh, I, no, I have it 19-19 and you have it 20-18. to 18. 
for I Davis. do have 2018 for Davis here, but I mean, I look at that and I'm like, God, do I really think that Machida needs a finish in this fight? Like if that's a fight I watched, like, yeah, by the way, the scoring works. But I mean, those first two rounds, I feel like we're, we're just by the slightest of margin. So it kind of stinks that even our system isn't going to save <laughs> save our situation here yeah. uh, from what I know is coming. I do think that I think round two, I think it, it much harder argument to make for Machida, though. Harder argument, but even still, I mean, it's by a very slim margin. Right. This is, you know, razor thin, not a lot of strikes being landed. You know, if you look at the numbers, the whole fight the two between the two of them, they landed about 45 strikes in 15 minutes. Yeah, not, not a lot not, happening yeah, that, in this that, fight. That's not too much. Um, <laughs> no, it's really not. It's really not. Uh, and very few of them were landing with, with a lot of intentions either. Uh, but, you know, as far as the judges here uh, in this round as well. So... D'Amato and Winter, they both have it 2018 for Davis, just as I do. Uh, and Watts also has it 1919. So this was a unanimous Davis round. Uh, kind of owing to the fact that you thought it was it was a more clear argument for Machida here, right? Yeah, no, more clear for Davis, yeah. Yeah, excuse me, my bad. Um, but round three, though, this one I think was probably the most clear round of the whole fight. Would you agree? I I would definitely agree. I thought this was... Clearly a Machida round, round three. I mean, although the round, there was a lot of throwing and missing on both sides. Sure. But, you know, that doesn't score for anything. Right. I think it really was just Machida pumping out those kicks to the body, which, you know, I think they took their toll on him. He had landed some good combos and Davis did nothing, really. I don't know. The, the key difference here between this round and the other two rounds is that Davis didn't get the takedown and couldn't land any ground and pound as a result. He was losing the kickboxing battle throughout the entire fight. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Definitely. But the difference maker was Machida was able to stave off going down at any point in this round. So he was able to, to work his stuff. If you look at the numbers, Machida actually uh, doubled up Davis in this round, as far as significant okay. strikes landed, which, you know, that doesn't, you know, the, the, the judges, they don't see these numbers and the numbers don't necessarily mean anything. But when you're looking at a low output round here, if it's 10 to five, as I believe that was the case. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty easy to go Machida here. <laughs> right, for sure. Like I, you know, like I said, they both were throwing and missing, but it did seem like the ones that actually did land came from Machida. Yeah, no, absolutely. That is true. Uh, you know, Machida, he's been learning how to strike since he was just a little kid in the same way that Phil Davis has been learning how to wrestle since he was just a little kid. So this is in his blood. You can't, you can't really make up the distance that easily between the two of them on a striking level in the amount of time that Davis had been in the sport at this point. So, yeah, I mean, it's no-brainer that Machida would win this one if it's a kickboxing battle, and he did. So I gave it to him 10-9. Yeah, me too, 10-9, which gives leaves my final score 29-28 for Machida. And I have it 29-28 for Davis. Ooh. How's that for Homer, huh? Yeah, look at you. It's like the anti-Homer. Yeah. It, it is, it is. Maybe I was mad at him today or something like that. No, no I mean, this is this was the fight that I saw uh, unfold in front of me. Although, again, either of the first two rounds I thought was close enough. I think round one was the one where you really could have flipped it to Machida. But it just stinks because I do think that there's a degree of quality in terms of the way Machida won round three compared to the way I thought Davis won the first two rounds. You know, I'm kind of almost inclined to say, you know, if, if we were using half points, which people have talked about in the past, you know, we, this is this is something that gets floated here and there, kind of in the background. If this was a half point situation, I would say Davis won each of the first two rounds as ten nine and a half, and that Machida won the third round ten nine. 
which would make it a draw. And I feel like this fight with the low output and the fact that nobody put a stamp on it, I'm okay with that being a draw. Yeah, I'm okay with this fight being a draw. I I, I think I would have scored round one if we had... I mean, we're, we're using an alternative scoring system and we couldn't get out of the 10-9s. So say we had half points, I think I go 10-9 and a half for round one for Machida and I go a full 10-9 for Davis and a, a full 10-9 for Machida in the, the following rounds. So I think Machida would still so win it, by it a half a It point. wouldn't have done anything for you, yeah. It would just be a smaller margin that he wins by. Yeah. No, I, I definitely thought that round one and two were just exactly the same, honestly. So, okay. But I understand why you, you would feel differently than me. Um, but, of course, we don't use that. That's not part of our CSJ system. You know, this is just kind of a thought exercise uh, within our thought exercise. <laughs> <laughs> Keep up with it. It's very meta. I know. <laughs> Uh, but as far as uh, we should get to the, the actual judges' scores for this round, uh, D'Amato and Winter, they both saw it for Machida, whereas Watts actually gave this to Davis. So Davis ran counter to his other judges in each of the first and third round. Ultimately got the same 29-28 Davis that everyone did, but he got there in a much different way uh, and kind of a stranger way. Yeah, I, I, I don't agree with round three uh, being Davis. I just don't see it. And one thing I noticed in round three, too, was I believe this was Chris Watts who was doing this, but it looked like one of the judges who, again, I think was Chris Watts, was writing things down during the round, kind of taking his eyes off the action very briefly to look at his paper in front of him, and write stuff down. And it, I was surprised to see that. Yeah. I mean, Ben Cartwich did tell us some judges have you know shorthand notes available to them to remember what happened in the round. Sure. And I, and I understand that. But like when you couple the fact that I know the eyes were removed from the action with the fact that he got a very different score from the judges that he was also working with in two out of three rounds, it kind of calls into question that type of managing your scores between or during rounds rather. I, yeah, I don't think if I mean, I'm not a working judge and I don't want to cast too many stones from my glass house, but I would have to think that if I was sitting cage side and trying to, pay maximum attention i wouldn't want to avert my eyes for a second if i could help it yeah i would i would just try to work uh, really hard to to focus and, and and remember everything without having to write it down or anything hard to do of course yeah. you know again i don't want to like i said no stones from a glass house but yeah you know the reason why we chose this fight is the fact that not because it was an interesting fight because honestly it really even for someone who likes machida this wasn't a very interesting fight but when you go back and look at mma decisions Every single media score listed there was for Machida and mostly 3027s, which you know I, I don't think is a great score, but nobody saw this fight for Davis except for all three judges. Uh, and, you know, look, the media members, especially back then, probably were even less sure of how things were scored from, from a judge's standpoint. But it, it was something that we said, okay, we, we really should look back at this fight, right? Yeah, and I... I agreed with the media and you agreed with the pros. So what's that say? You know what it says? This was a really, really close fight with not enough happening. So, you know, sometimes even even when people get very worked up and mad about it, you kind of look at it and it's like, well, not a, not a lot of stuff happened here. So, of course, you're going to get some weird scores. That's Sometimes that's on the fighters. Yeah. That, yeah. The fighters do have some responsibility in the way these decisions come out. Absolutely. 
And that's that for this episode of the Couchside Judges. Always nice to work in past judgment, even in a lackluster fight like this. Dan and I are planning to do a couple more of these for Friday's episode, too. Likely another of the many contested Machida fights over the years, plus one featuring Angela Hill, who's no stranger to close decisions as well. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Couchside Judges, as well as myself at Scott underscore Fontana, and my DMs are open. Find me on Twitter at DanUrbanMMA. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you found us. Thanks for listening. Later, guys. Later, guys.